Look at my butt. Show number 230 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talking Track. Well, I I think we're we're recovered from corn maze and <laughs> going to the con and it took a while, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, I had so much fun and then I came home and I was just like, Okay, I'm officially exhausted now, so I think yes. I'll just sleep for two or three days and Oh yeah. Oh so I hope listeners that you've all enjoyed um the podcast that we did, the one in the car and the one afterwards, because we just had the best time. It was oh. wonderful. It was so great that you could be here for so long, and um, yeah, it was just perfect. It was great. I, I was delighted. It was the perfect mm-hmm. little vacation, and um, oh, we should say, we've now bought our tickets for Silicon Valley Comic Con. That's right, and very much looking forward oh, to that. it's going to be great. So they're having it, um, it's going to be a little bit different. If anyone went to it last year, they're now, uh, because it was so big, parceling it out into several buildings in the downtown area, all within mm-hmm. walking distance of each other. It's all very close. And so um, it, there's going to be more events. They're, they're double tracking things even more than they were bill is going to be there uh, of course which is wonderful and i think they're kind of promoting him as almost like a master of ceremonies for some of this stuff which is wonderful and they're having a whole track of trek programming um which he is moderating i guess Uh Um, and they're going to have a lot of the tng people there and then they're going to talk about a whole bunch of other issues that are related to trek so it's going to be very very trek focused which i am just excited so excited about oh it was such a great con it was and i'm so glad that you know they're doing it again and expanding it. I have to tell you, though, a thread came up, I don't know, a week or so ago on the William Shatner Facebook because he's been doing a lot of cons. And somebody said, you know, just in general to anybody who wanted to post, what's your favorite memory of of Bill at a convention? Mm, mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I had the hug. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) of course. But, you know, I also was thinking about his conversation with that little boy. Oh, yeah. At the... um, the the Silicon Valley convention. Yes. That was just so so wonderful. He's so good talking to kids. He really is, especially in an environment like that where mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure and a lot of people and you know, you're that kid standing in line and there's people behind you and everybody's looking at you and the spotlight yeah. is yeah. on you and Bill just made him feel completely like he was the center of Bill's attention. Well, he was. You know, they yeah. were having a conversation. Yeah, they were yeah. having a conversation. It was it very was just cool. Great. So, anyway, so we will be at Silicon Valley Comic Con next year, which yes. I believe is in April, and we'll probably be there the whole weekend. So, if anybody mm-hmm. is going, let us know. Um, yeah. We're not staying at the hotel uh, because. You'll be staying here at my house, and we'll just be going That's down right. there, uh, which will be wonderful. So we'll we'll be around. We'll be in San Jose and doing things. And but our tickets are for the whole. They are the whole deal, the whole three days or whatever yeah, it is. So. and it gets us priority seating at some of those panels, so we don't That's have to right. stand online with all the <clears throat> the plebes. Yeah, I don't want to press our luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got very lucky last time. We did. We very absolutely. very lucky. So oh, so well, yay! I'm very very excited about that. Okay, so we want to start today with something we haven't done in a while. We have fan mail. Yeah. One in particular. I really enjoyed it. It is from Queens Level 3. <laughs> and Queens Level 3 writes to us, Hello, I have listened to and enjoyed all of your Shatner podcasts. Keep up the good work. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know about a movie called Experimenter. I happen to think it's a pretty good film, and Anton Yelchin is in it. But besides all that, I really think it is must-viewing for any Shatner fanatic. As far as I know, it is the first time ever that an actor has actually portrayed William Shatner on screen. Well, we're seeing... For the hair alone. Take care. <laughs> Queens Level 3. Now, this movie I'm a little familiar with, and I think I actually may have seen it. Um, it's about the Milgram experiments. Uh-huh. 
but it also includes a you know a little bit where they're making tenth level. Really? Yes, oh. and I think I've seen it. But if I haven't, I was sort of you know surfing through things the other day, and it's on either Netflix or Amazon. Oh my God, I have so to watch it. I'm going to watch it again. Maybe we should set up a time you know yeah. where we watch it together remotely or whatever, so we can talk about it. But but I do vaguely remember that part about Bill being in it. Oh, I like I remember this movie coming out, but I didn't realize that that was part of the movie was filming 10th level and now I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry and I see that there is someone cast as William Shatner. Yes, yes. So um, thank you so much Queens Level 3 for reminding us of this because you know there's just so much out there that we uh, we can't keep it all in our brains all the time. Um, Yeah, so also people who are interested in the Milgram experiments you know might want to might want to watch it. Wow. So this would be another media conquered, I guess, um, somebody playing Bill in a movie about a movie that Bill was in. Right. Sort of <laughs> Do I have that correct? Being a fictional character in a movie. Because he's been a fictional character in, in books. Right, right. But this is the first time in a movie. I think so. I think so. Wow. Boy, that's several levels there. I know. That's, that's beyond meta. It is. It's the meta of meta. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's so interesting. I didn't know about that. And so now I'm very excited to see it. It was from yes. last year, 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very so cool. like I said, I, I was surfing around. I saw it either on Netflix or Amazon. Those are my two kind of go-tos for, mm-hmm. for movies and things. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, cool. Thank you. And yeah, please, people, let us know about things that we should know about because we, uh, even though we are media moguls and, you know, we kind of have our, our fingers on the pulse, we, we can't know everything. We no, no, we do rely on you so very, very much. We do. And you've never steered us wrong, I don't think. That's true. That's true. Moving- it wasn't their fault they, that we tried Romulan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> uh, going to the next topic, uh, I just wanted to provide a quick update on the Axonar situation. Yes. Um, nothing happened for a while because it is a lawsuit, and as we know, the, the wheels of law grind quite slowly. But what's happened now is that um, there's been an update in the discovery process. So I think the last time we talked about this, I had mentioned that they they had moved to the next phase of any lawsuit, which is discovery. And discovery means that um, both sides have to turn over to the other side documents concerning the lawsuit so that they both sort of start from the same place. It's, It's kind of meant to level the playing field. And it also allows each side to request certain documentation that they feel is necessary to make their case. Mm-hmm. So um, discovery can mean turning over documents. It can mean deposing people, interviewing people, collecting actual physical evidence. It can mean a lot of things. Right. So Axonar, in their infinite wisdom, and I mean that quite sarcastically, asked for completely unreasonable things in their discovery motion. So from CBS and Paramount, they basically asked for any and all documentation relating to profits made from Star Trek since Star Trek started. And that included uh, royalties, licensing fees, payroll sheets for any actor, director, or artist who had ever been involved in Star Trek. Oh, wow. And you know, they're not doing that for a reason. Something like that, when you make such an overly broad claim, mm-hmm. you expect to have it cut back. But it's also to put, uh, you know, an unfair burden on the other side. It's like a right. fuck you to them. We, we just want you to yes, have to go yes. through your files. So they did that. And then just the other day, uh, right at the end of October, a judge came back and said, actually, no, I'm not going to let you do that because your request is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did allow some of the requests to go through. So... Um, here's what CBS and Paramount has to turn over to Axonar. They have to um, look at records the studio has relating to the commercial impact, <coughs> excuse me, the commercial impact of fan films on the studio's Star Trek property. That's very ah, interesting. And that's relevant, too. That's quite relevant. So yeah. um, the defense originally sought records regarding all fan films, not just ones inspired by Star Trek. So they were basically saying any fan film that's ever been made, we need to see what the impact of it is. That's ridiculous. Yes. So now the request is only to infringed Star Trek work specified in the studio's legal complaint. 
um, documents and communication demonstrating how both the market for Star Trek has been affected by Axanar and its financial impact or lack thereof on the studio's businesses and a summary showing only the studio revenue and profitability related to Star Trek since 2009. Um, th yes, they had wanted every document related to Star Trek's profitability from the beginning mm -hmm. of time, but they're not getting wow. that. So that's very interesting. Um, they are now, the studio from their side has to prove or show what kind of impact fan films have had. And I think everybody would like to get a look at that kind of information. I certainly I would. I think so, yes. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, especially in light of all those arguments that were on ASC, which I used to follow a lot, mm -hmm. um, alt.startrek.creative, and um, about how actually writing fan fiction has made us spend more money on right. Star Trek. Right, so show it. Now they have yeah. to show it. That will be very, very interesting. Uh, there are some other things that they have to show. Um, they have to provide some documentation about any fan film guidelines that they've ever come up with or distributed, which is also quite relevant. Mm -hmm. um, they want to see what the, the takedown notices were for other fan films in addition to Axonar just to compare them. So again, also relevant. Um, this kind of stuff, I hope, becomes made public, and it should, because it should be part of the public record. They're also going to call some witnesses and do some interviews and depositions, and hopefully we'll get to see what that says as well. So that's where it stands right now. Things are moving forward very, very, very slowly, and mm -hmm. it can still go to a lawsuit, or it could still be settled at some point. Okay. Very interesting. So there's our legal corner for this week. Yes. Okay, well, speaking of Axanar, one of the articles that I had for us to look at um, is called This is How Star Trek Invented Fandom. Yes. Very large, art, long article on GQ, and really not so much about the the history and, and, and everything. I mean, there's a little bit, but nothing we didn't really know. But it is a good overview of the most recent Vegas convention mm -hmm. from uh, this person and XNR came up. So um, I want to read you a little bit here and you should be familiar because you've watched some of Star Trek Continues, correct? Yes, I have. Okay. Vic Min Min Mignogna, if that's how you say his name. I think so. Is in his early 50s, but looks on purpose younger than that. He likely, <laughs> he likely has the best tan of the entire convention. <laughs> While we talk, three people ask for his autograph. He is the producer and the Kirk on Star Trek Continues. That's right. He's the not yes. Elvis Kirk, the yes. other Kirk. Okay. So they talked to him a little bit, and um, XNR's trajectory through the fan film world, which had previously existed in a state of benign neglect, <laughs> profoundly changed the landscape for both its creator and the community at large. Um, but many of the fa major fan productions continues among them violate the new guidelines in fundamental ways. To reshape Star Trek continues to fit this new bill is to gut it. Mm -hmm. Sitting in Quark's bar, Vic has nothing but contempt for Alec, that's the Axanar guy, and mm -hmm. Axanar. It was an ego fest, he said. Mm -hmm. He ruined it for the rest of us. Yeah, that's what everybody seems to be saying now. Yes, yes. And there are a couple interesting things um, in this in this article, and one of them is is a statement that uh, two statements that I found interesting. One was pointing out that um, although the history of Star Trek, so much of it, has been influenced by women, from Bijo Trimble mm -hmm. to the people who set up the first cons and all of that, that men are still the face of the fandom. And I think once we women take down Donald Trump, we need to work <laughs> on that. I completely agree with that. The second thing this guy said that just cracked me up was, you know, he goes, there's all these people dressed as aliens. There are people of every ages, people speaking every language in the world. You're in this huge place. And he goes, after three days of no sunlight and no fresh air, I begin to understand what it's like to live on a starship. <laughs> As like, oh my God, if it's like being in Vegas, I never want to go. Really? That is true. I was just in Vegas and yeah, getting outside was like such a treat. Yes. <laughs> like I need to be out in the fresh air. This is crazy. I can't stand it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, there was one other thing in this article that I, I just wanted to mention. Mm -hmm. 
I, I skimmed it because it is quite long, but I want to go back and reread it. Uh, but the, uh, the person who wrote it says, I see the same people get in line to ask actors questions. Yes. And then the author kind of goes through it a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, she says at the front of the line, I often see a familiar face. And I was just reflecting on that, how it's the same for us, right? When we go to conventions, yes. um, it used to be more common, but I, I think still we often see the same people lining up to ask the same questions over and over again. Yeah, and yeah. I, I like fine if that's your thing but I I don't get that you know if you're gonna go and ask a question why not ask about something else I don't know um and I think that's part of why we both enjoyed the Silicon Valley con so much it was a whole different bunch of people there it was completely different it was not the same old people saying the same old things yes yes asking really intelligent questions i i think that those were some of my favorite parts of the cons that we've been to Mm -hmm. when when there were people in line who um said things that were just hilariously funny or or completely out of left field that took the actors by surprise um yeah I, i remember gosh maybe it was in sacramento or i don't know we've been to so many cons where a guy got up and he was talking to bill and to leonard and he was talking about um an episode of TJ Hooker that they'd done together. But the uh-huh. way he was framing it, it was like, I saw this episode and you guys were in it. And, you know, this show really changed my life. And I can't believe that you were in another show before TJ Hooker. <laughs> and it was really like his whole preamble to it was just a perfect spot on parody of the way people talk about Star Trek. Like, oh, it changed my life and blah, yep, blah, blah. Yep. And then he, he let, comes down with the punchline. And, and Bill and Leonard thought that was so funny. Oh, and we all roared. Oh, I mean, it everybody. It got like the huge, the hugest laugh. It was it great. Was, it was brilliant. So, yes, I, I love it when people do that. Um, the closing line of this article from GQ I actually like. Um, he says, Excess Hollywood Scott Mance rips open his button-down shirt during a 2009 interview with Star Trek's Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto Mm. to reveal a vintage TOS (laughs) t-shirt. I'm that guy, he announces triumphant. In a culture shaped by 50 years of Star Trek, we're all that guy, or we can be if we want to. That's the whole point. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And reading this, I wanted to say how amazing it is now. You know, we had such a Trek immersion when we were together because mm-hmm. Star Trek was on every channel, right? Oh like, my God, We just yes. sat down and we're flipping around. It's like, oh look, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But it's been like that since I've gotten home. BBC America is still doing Star Trek marathons mm-hmm. on the weekends and then it's on the Heroes and Icon channel and it's on other channels and like just the other day, Friday night, I sat down and I was like, oh, I just need to relax a little bit and lo and behold, there was a Star Trek marathon on BBC yep. America, so I watched um, Miri and The Menagerie and uh, something else. Oh, um, uh, Corbomite Maneuver was on ah. and it was like, this is great. <laughs> I'm I so know, happy. and it's all, you know, all shiny and and yeah. polished up, you know, for its big anniversary and Oh, it's just, it's just great. It, it's like such a such a delight to sit down, put on the TV and have Star Trek Beyond whenever I I sit down to watch TV and not have to seek it out, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just, I don't know, it's a different feeling when it's just there for you to consume it instead of looking it up on Netflix or getting out the DVDs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, really, when you come home from work or whatever and you're tired and you turn on the TV, what is nicer than finding Star Trek? Oh, it's just so great. I I love it. Uh, Watch Miri again. And Uh that was a that's still a really pretty good episode, I have to yep. say. Yep. Uh, I had forgotten a lot of what had happened in it. So I, I really was amused at how, uh, as they were getting sicker and sicker, they all started yelling at each other. <laughs> yes. It was really good. You could tell the actors were really into it, you know. Like. <laughs> well, I still like the Erlenmeyer flask full of death. <laughs> that, oh, my God. That's... That's that just is so the best good. Part. Oh, oh, and and last night we watched um uh uh Helen, 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 No, no, Helen Noel. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh, here it comes, here it comes. And he walks into the transporter room, and she's standing there, and he does that like triple take to her. Uh huh. And then you know he gets up on the transporter pad, and he's sort of side eyeing her, and she's just like, don't you remember me, Captain? And he's like, yes. Remember, it was at the Christmas party. Yes, I remember. And she's like, remember? Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. up, up." It was so good. 
my God. It was the best. It was yes. totally the best. And Bill was so funny playing that. And the only thing that would have made it funnier would have been if, it, if another woman that he was currently banging mm-hmm. was there. That's right. That That's would have right. been great. Yeah. Yes. They had Spock as a stand-in for yeah. you know, whoever yeah. he was currently banging. Well, Heroes and Icons last night showed um, Enterprise Incident. Oh, the one really? with the the um the cloaking device yeah, the and, yeah, yeah. and um you know so that was that was like interesting to watch you know for my taste it's got too much spock but mm-hmm. um you know it's got kirk you know kick him butt and yeah you and know. the romulan commander who's wonderful oh yeah and man that dress she wears i think not her uniform the other one mm-hmm. that is the most beautiful gown ever in i think all of star trek it's gorgeous. Totally it is gorgeous. so beautiful, and we've seen it. Yeah, we've we've held it. We've noticed it is so teeny tiny. Yeah. Just oh, how, yeah. How, how were people that small? I don't get it. I don't know, but you know that woman gives a, a remarkable performance. She oh. is really good. She's she is just wonderful, and I just remember when we met her, right? When mm-hmm. Me and Jonk were there, and we got to, yep. to chat with her, uh, Joanna um, Linville. Linville, thank you. And she was delightful. Yep. She was so kind and intelligent, and just you know willing to talk with people. Oh, mm-hmm. She was great. And you know what's what's unusual is you know. Um, now with heroes and icons and me TV and all of those showing these older things from the sixties and everything, I don't remember seeing her pop up in other things. And you and I are very tuned into that. Yeah. Huh. I, 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 you know, I think I did see her in one other thing once. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know she, she was in TV for a long time, but I'm kind of remembering now that she told us at the con that she did more stage work that that was oh. what she really enjoyed so she cut oh. back on her tv work and did more stage stuff so that would okay. sort of explain it yep that would explain it yep okay well yeah it is wonderful to just go oh here's more star trek to watch you know <laughs> and uh it's not spock's brain or one of the episodes you know with children that i can't stand you know mary's okay mary's the exception but okay. anything else that focuses on kids just oh no I agree. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about one more thing. Um, okay. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, thing that you found where uh, Trek Webb, I believe, had dug up an interview with Jeffrey Hunter. Yes. Um, when he was in there. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So this, um, I'm just looking at the article. Uh, the article's short. It's very short, and it's yes. posted at um, io9, and it says, Trek Web dug up a 1965 interview, which Hunter did with a, quote, Hollywood columnist, which was picked up in Starlog magazine later. Uh, he shows a lot of enthusiasm for Trek, as well as some thoughts about how the show might unfold. And it's the last thing he said that was the most interesting, and that made the... Um, headline for this particular article he said with all the weird surroundings of outer space the basic underlying theme of the show is a philosophical approach to man's relationship to women there are both sexes in the crew and in fact the first officer is a woman (laughs) you know i'm i'm gonna disagree with jeffrey hunter there oh uh, yeah yeah me too me too (laughs) i don't think it was really about man's relationship to women what do you think it was about? Man's relationship to... Um, the universe? I was going to say the unknown. Mm, okay, yeah. yeah. I, I would go for that. But yeah. also, but also um, let's not say man. Let's say humankind. Okay. Um, humankind's relationship to itself. Because that was kind of the point of a lot of the episodes, right? It was... Uh, yes. How we relate to each other as, as beings. what... What does it mean to be human? Yes. What does it mean to be human? And that was carried through TOS very, I mean, through TNG very eloquently with, with data. Yeah. And um, what is it? The measure of the man? Measure yeah. of the man. Is measure that the name man. of that episode? Yeah, but also, yeah. you know, Spock as an observer of humans and what that means to his human half, you know, it re- yeah, it really was about what it means to be human. Yep. I completely agree. So yeah. it's funny that he would think that. I wonder what Gene Roddenberry was telling him. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. It's also interesting, though, the, the, the thing right before that, he said um, the show is actually based on the Rand Corporation's projection mm. of things to come. Except for the fictional characters, it will be like getting a look into the future, and some of the predictions will surely come true in our lifetime. Well, damn straight about that. He was uh, totally well, right. <laughs> and down in the comments, somebody points out, this is the first time, and it's it's first for me too, that somebody who was actually there in, in 1965 said, this will happen. Oh. I mean, we have a lot of people looking back going, wow, look at all the things Star Trek showed us that have come to, come to be true. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was the... F- you don't frequently see people um, think, saying out loud, this TV show is so important because. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like this stuff is actually going to happen. Yes, yes. Wow. That, that, is, that is very true. You're, you're right. I hadn't thought about it quite like that. Um, I, while we're on the subject and we're going to take a break in a minute, I, I want to mention that we were uh, watching last night a new Rift Track short which um, you should watch sometime because you would enjoy it. And it's called Home of the Future. And it was produced in, uh, by Philco. So Philco used to make uh, home appliances like uh, oh, yeah, refrigerators yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so it was, it was Philco and Ford together made this short. And it looked like it was from the early 50s. And it was about what our homes would be like in the year 1999. Oh, that's like the thing at Disneyland. It is like the thing at Disneyland. Yeah. And, what was amazing to me, and, and I have a real fondness for sort of, um, you know, retro, this is what the future is going to look like stuff, because I love to see what they got right and what they got wrong. And mm-hmm. in this particular short, there were a few things that were right. You know, there was a prediction that there would be microwave ovens in our uh, in our homes, like that's mm-hmm. how some food would be prepared and that we'd probably have, uh, they weren't called computers really, but they were computers in different places in the house and that you might have a workout room where you, you did your stuff. So that was uh-huh. all good. But I'm always a little bit in love with how they get things wrong. So for all of this amazing automated computerized stuff in your house, all of the different things that you were supposed to have, like the thing that controlled the the food and the thing that controlled your bank account and the thing that controlled the environment and the thing that controlled, uh, you know, like security were all different machines. Oh, they couldn't, they could not make the leap to saying, Oh, it'll all be one right with one screen. So there's all these scenes of people sitting around, you know, the, the husband is sitting at a table and there are like five different, what we'd call computers. And he has mm-hmm. to go to each different computer to do a different thing. Right. With five right. different screens. So your whole house is filled with all these different machines that have their own <laughs> separate screens, including, you know, where the kid is learning. He's got like three different screens where he has to do things. And it, it's just funny. Like, how did, could they miss that part of it? You can think so far ahead, but yet you can't make the leap to it'll all be in one place well um bill gates in the early days could not envision a scenario where people would have computers in their homes mm-hmm. it was purely a business thing yeah so yeah I, they I, weren't I, alone in that yeah you know? I, I just love to see you know where they they just can't get to where things are actually going to go oh also in this short uh, you know, it's a mother and a dad and a kid, and the the woman is still doing all the housework and making the food because yeah. apparently that will never change. Never, <laughs> never. She has to check in with them and take their orders. Oh, and also for the lunch, <laughs> take I'm their sorry. orders. She did. She <laughs> okay, totally took okay. their orders. And then um, you could see in this one shot. I'm going to have to screenshot this, but they have the menu for the dad, the mom, and the kid. And the dad has like a cheese omelet. The kid has. Um, I forget, like a piece of chicken and some vegetables and milk. And the mom has cottage cheese. <gasps> and I was okay, like, I'm really appalled. Oh, my I'm God. Really so, like, yeah, you know, women still aren't allowed to eat real food even no. in 1999. Cottage cheese and a... a- a peach yeah exactly oh yeah i know it's so funny so anyway i just had to get that in if anybody out there likes riff tracks you should totally watch home of the future because it's really really funny well at the end of this 
article, very short article about Jeffrey Hunter. There's a whole bunch of comments. They are interesting. They get into talking about women's role in track. And at the end is a, a clip, and it's on YouTube. So I'm going to do some investigating mm. and post it. Um, it appears to be from some British comedy show uh-huh. that I'm not familiar with. But um, it's, you know, Captain Kirk, but all the officers and everything are women. And he calls them like female Sulu and female Chekhov. <laughs> so, you know, after the show is over, I'm actually going to go look at it on YouTube. I just viewed it here when I was doing my research, see if it tells us something about it. And I will share it then on the Look at His Butt Facebook. Oh, great. I would love to see that. Yeah, I had never seen that before. There is also a... Um, a thing many of you have probably seen this, but I never had, which was like a uh, a coming a trailer, a coming attraction for a KS movie, <laughs> and it's called Broke Trek, like Broke uh, Back Mountain. Okay. And some of the things they put together to make it work are good, and some of them are like, no, that that doesn't really work. And the problem with that is, if you are not a KSer but you're very familiar with Star Trek. You can't watch this without going, okay, I know what episode that's from. <laughs> I know where that came from. He's not talking to Spock, you know, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But still, the comment threads are really, I think, in some ways worth reading. It's it's interesting. And, and you know, as I said, people pointed out that back then nobody was talking like that about a Star Trek. And, you know, a little bit of speculation about what would it have been like if Jeffrey Hunter had stayed on and if mm. they had stuck true to whatever vision it was Gene presented at that time. Mm-hmm. But my main objection to that whole episode, even when I, I've now seen the whole thing, is it starts out with this guy being sick of being a starship captain. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, they apparently, that is how the newest movie starts out. Oh. Is, is he's like, oh, I'm bored. I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm like, oh, that is so non-Star Trek. I mean, I can't think of a Star Trek movie or series or anything where people were going, no, I don't want to go out and explore. No, definitely not. Uh, well, <laughs> that's going to, I want to touch on that when we come back because I want to talk okay. about this other article that you sent. So let's take a little break. Alrighty. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about how uh, science fiction influenced some writers. Oh, yes. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com and please visit us at the Look at His Butt Facebook page. Okay, we're back. Um, as as Lena said before we took our little break, we are going to talk about this article that was in The Verge, mm-hmm. 13 science fiction authors on how Star Trek influenced their lives. And it, it it's a wonderful article to read. One of the things that interested me was in these 13 authors, I think there was only one or two that I'd actually heard of. Yeah, I've heard of uh, like, yeah, two maybe or, mm-hmm. or three out of all of them. Um, but that's cool. You know, I think they definitely focused on younger writers, and I'm not nearly as familiar with the younger writers as I am with right, classic right. authors. So that that's great. You know, more exposure for them. Yes. Um, one of the first, one of the the very first one it actually had an interesting uh, story. Arthur, Alan M. Steele, who I actually have heard of, he's talking about. Um, his first exposure was his sister gave him the first Star Trek novel written by James Blish. Mm-hmm. However, because I had nothing to go on except for the James 
Barna or Bama cover illustration, the trailer, and a small handful of cast photos from TV Guide, my mental images of the Enterprise and its crew were almost entirely from my own imagination. Mm -hmm. For me, Star Trek began as a literary experience. Therefore, on my mental screen, Kirk was much older, Spock was bald and very, very green, McCoy looked like my pediatrician, (laughs) and the interior of the Enterprise looked much like the Jupiter 2 from Lost in Space. Uh So um, he says it wasn't until the following year when, you know, locally he was able to start seeing the show that he knew what they looked like. I got a kick out of that. Oh, me too. I thought that was a delightful insight. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like how many people was that true for? Hmm. Yes. Yes. I don't think there was never a time when I didn't know what they looked Mm -hmm. like. And it was interesting to me how many of them said, yeah, I remember watching it with my dad or with Mm -hmm. my parents. Mm -hmm. And I know that was true for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It was very important. It was totally a family thing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to point out, uh, as we were just talking about before the break, um, this idea of the captain as uh, sick of his life. And this woman, Madeline Ashby, says, uh, let's see, I've come to see Kirk in a new light, she says. Kirk is just a guy who craves the validation of command and loves his crew more than he loves the Federation. His primary goal is making sure everyone gets home okay. Like we, the audience, he's happiest when the bridge crew is together, functioning well, playing their parts, and doing their bit. He's as comforted and soothed by the episodic nature of his life as we are by the formula of each episode. I love that. I think that is a wonderful expression of what Kirk is and what he values. Mm -hmm. And and he's happiest when the bridge crew is together. That's absolutely true. That's that's what makes him want to go to work every day and do his job. Well, and I like that idea that he is comforted by the episodic nature just as we are. Yeah. Um, I have never seen that or heard that put in words before. But it is like... On to the next thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. What's what's coming up next? (laughs) I I think that 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 has to be true for people who are suited by their personalities to be a commander in this position, right? Like you're on Mm -hmm. a starship. You as the captain have to have the kind of attention span that can deal with these episodic things that happen because even though your mission might be five years, it all happens in little bursts as Mm -hmm. opposed to a scientist when you have an experiment that might last for a year. So you have to be focused on that one thing for a whole year and it's different for other people in the crew. Like Scotty has to be focused on the continual maintenance and upgrading of the engines all the time. He's not focused on the episodes, but Kirk as the captain really has to be focused on those episodes. Yes. Yes. On what, you know, what, what is the the current uh, challenge? Yeah. And that's why we're supposed to identify with him because that's what it is for us. Every week we see him dealing with the thing. So we have to identify with him as the, the main character. Um, there is a great line in Enterprise Incident that I that stood out for me when I was watching it last night, um, when the uh, the Romulans and Kirk are having their exchange via open channels or whatever, and uh, Sub Commander Tal is talking to Kirk, and uh, Kirk says, "You realize we have, of course, sent a message to Starfleet Command," and Sub Commander Tal says, "It will take three weeks for that message." to reach Starfleet Command, the decision is yours, Captain. And I remember once reading the character description from the writer's Bible, and that was one of the things. This has to be somebody who will make these decisions because he's going to be so far Mm -hmm. from the higher-ups that he can't can't kick it up. The buck stops at him. Mm -hmm. And so he can try to bluff them by saying, you know... There's going to be a whole fleet of ships here in two minutes, you know. But, you know, the Romulans know how space communication works as well as he does. Exactly. He's yeah. he's, he's the guy in charge. He's the one yep. who makes that final decision, and he has to live with the consequences of whatever that decision is. And you can see how he would want a break and and have these feelings, these feelings of longing occasionally, of no beach to walk on and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But... Given the opportunity to permanently not be a captain of a starship, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's miserable once they promote him to admiral. Yep, exactly. That was, I'm so glad, you know, in a way that they, they really did that to show 
how that was bad for him, right? Oh, yeah. And McCoy saying, get your command back. Just coming right out, cutting through the bullshit. Yeah. It's not about turning 50. It's, you know, not about anything. It's about get your command back. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just so good. So you should all go and read this article. There are 13 different authors here and they all have different things to say about their experiences and they're not all Americans. So it's nice to have the international perspective as well. Mm hmm. It's a good article. Um, one of the ones I do want to share, though, and I know I am going to butcher this person's name. Um, I believe she's, I believe it's a woman, but it's an Indian author, author from India. Uh-huh. And uh, name I'm thinking is Geetanjali Deeg. Mm-hmm. But she says, I was 10. It was the 80s. Television was new, probably only a few years old in my small town. And on Sundays, we'd wait for a foreign show called Star Trek. Mm-hmm. About 10 to 12 children of all ages would gather around the TV, sit cross-legged on the floor, and watch as a magical voiceover began. The music of opening credits mesmerized us. This show was unlike anything we had ever seen. The people in the show went places we had never imagined. Not None of us understood all of the English words, and subtitles wasn't a thing then. But, oh, there was a spaceship, and there were stars. I didn't know then that the show was a rerun. For me, it was real. It was what some people did. People could go on voyages in the star-filled sky. It was a fact. I thought, this is what they did in America. In America, you could go to the stars. By America, I, like many others, met all of the English-speaking world. England was America (laughs) when I was 10. I love that. Oh, it's delightful. It's That just just, the visuals was doing it for them, you know? Oh, and just like the idea of a a TV set in some, you know, in an Indian village and all these little kids gathered around (sighs) it and just completely enveloped by the the story and, and the world that was being created yes so well, wonderful. I, I remember another fan saying something once about when it was first on and she was watching it her little brother who was probably like six at the time did think the transporter and everything like that was real because it, if if it wasn't real how could they show it how could they film it <laughs> Yeah, how could they anyway? Yeah, well, kids younger than that frequently think these people live inside the television set, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. But yeah, this this is definitely an article worth worth reading, and uh, it, like I said, it's just delightful to to uh, to see with how people incorporate Star Trek into their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's as a writer, or they became an astronaut, or an engineer, or a scientist. You know. It, it's the fabric of people's lives now. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's gone. I, I know we've said this before, but it, it's beyond being a fan of the show, right? It, it's, yes. It's like just there. It influences yes. people whether you're a fan or not, really. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you, you're aware of it. It is a cultural touchstone. Yeah. And absolutely. whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's a cultural touchstone. Yep. It's there. It's not yep. going away. Yep. I would like to now talk about this wonderful article that you sent um, called How an Overambitious Star Trek Convention Became the Con of Wrath. (laughs) Okay, now some of you may have heard about this, but in the 80s, uh, a group of people decided they were going to throw like the biggest, most spectacular Star Trek convention ever. And it was going to be in Houston. And Star Trek II was just being released. There was huge excitement. The problem was these people had never done anything like this before. And it turned into a total shit hit the fan (laughs) repeatedly in huge, huge quantities. Mm -hmm. Um, I had heard a little bit about it. Now, uh, there is in this article a uh, coming attraction of the film about it, which they are trying to make. And, you know, you can go to their page and and donate some money so they can uh, finish it up. But really, if you just want to know what went on, you can read the article. But apparently, fans arrived at the hotel having paid their money, only the money hadn't gotten to the hotel, and the hotel wouldn't give them their rooms. And it it was expensive, by the way. Yes. We're, We're talking like... Close to five hundred dollars mm-hmm. for your hotel and seeing this variety show that they were going to be putting on and oh, meeting some yeah. of the cast and things. So yeah, not cheap, not cheap at all. And then the actors started arriving, thinking 
you know, things were set up and nothing was uh, set up. Walter Koenig had written like a script where the actors were going to be playing their characters and um, nothing was ready. And and it says like for the first few hours, people are just going, who's in charge? Who's in charge here? And finally, because nobody else seemed interested in being in charge, Walter took over. And more or less produced some sort of convention. <laughs> Good for him. But, you know, he was handing out scripts to the actors going, this is what you're going to do. And he grabbed a guy and said, you're the announcer. And here's the lighting cues, you know, just just smacked them all into place. And um, apparently there was a terrible thing getting tickets because this could this place could hold, I don't know, 10, 12,000 or something. And there were very few people there because uh, apparently... Ticketmaster or Ticketron, whoever it was, was telling people it was sold out, and it wasn't, and they had to rearrange the schedule. Um, Leonard wasn't there. He was maybe going to make a surprise appearance, but um, they had, Bill had another commitment, so he had to go on first instead of last, Mm -hmm. as they had planned, but, you know, it pretty much says all the actors, you know, stepped up. None of them went, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm out of here. Goodbye. They, you know, they did what they could. could. They did what they had come to do. So the fans who were there did get some satisfaction. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the hotel room thing ever resolved itself. Yeah, it doesn't say. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it was, it was a total mess and, I remember people on one of the groups I was on talking about, yeah, they had uh, been at some con, not this one, and it had gone wrong, and nobody had gotten their money back, and that brought up people talking about this one. I want to see the documentary that they're going to make because it just Mm -hmm. sounds crazy. Uh, At the end of the article, it does say, um, the amazing thing is that none of the actors walked that they did the entire weekend as that was planned, as you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, the show did go off more or less okay, although during one of the shows, a weather balloon exploded and came crashing down onto the <laughs> audience members. That's very Galaxy Quest. It is, very much. Um, most of the people didn't get paid, you know, the stage people. Mm-hmm. The actors got some of their money, but nothing near what they were supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it doesn't say what happened with the hotel. I'd really like to know how that worked out. Yeah. I, I was interested that there wasn't more about Bill in this article. Um, you know, they mentioned, as you said, that he had to catch a plane, so he had to do his thing. But did he participate in the little sketch that they had? I you don't know? know. And is there any, like, film of this yeah, sketch or a script I'm... available? You know, anything like that. But, um, yeah, that's part of the history of Star Trek conventions. And uh, you don't hear a lot about it. People getting just a little bit over ambitious with mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, man. Well, it reminds me a lot of yet another thing that we talked about several episodes ago um, where they had tried to put on a, a different con. Uh, and it was it was definitely not the same one, but I think it was also in Texas, right? And mm-hmm. uh, some of the actors were the ones who were running around uh, getting money in paper bags, so oh. that they could, <laughs> right? So that yeah. they could be you know collect a little bit of it, and they ended up kind of putting on the con by themselves because yeah. there seemingly was nobody in charge yeah. to do it. And as with this one, they all stepped up, and nobody you know left in a huff, and they honored their commitment to the fans. So mm-hmm. it, it's happened more than once. Yes, um, which brings up, it reminds me of something that was in that article about Vegas mm-hmm. and the, the, the history of conventions. It does point out that the early conventions were, were very much homemade affairs, yeah. and they were done out of love. And then, you know, creation went, hmm, this is a good business model. And in this article, people, you know, are saying, and I don't know how true it is, that um, – Creation began offering the the actors who were real draws, like Bill and Leonard and people like that, the original cast, a lot of money to appear with them mm-hmm. n- and not appear at the fan run cons. And they would Creation would schedule their cons on the same weekend. I believe that. I I totally believe it. You know, based on things that we've heard about those guys, they just seem very, very, very profit focused. And I'm sure that they're fans as well. But now that they've seen how much money that they can make off of this, 
they're going to do whatever they can to maximize that. That's true. I mean, it, it does sound completely believable to me. And, um, but shore leave keeps going. Shore leave yeah. is one of the very few fan run cons left. And a couple of years ago, they did have Bill appear, which I don't know how they came up with the money or if they talked him into it somehow. I don't know, you know, what the story was there, but um, they they usually do not get the top stars because they are a fan run con. Yeah, they don't have that kind of money. Yeah, and the purpose of shore leave is not to go and have your picture taken with the stars. It's to right. get together with the other fans and talk about your fan fiction. Right. It's it, it's a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. So I have one more thing that I wanted to talk about, and this is just a completely off the wall thing that I heard about on on another podcast, and I thought is this true? And then I found this article and, um, well, you guys can make up your own minds about it. Okay. Okay. So this is at a website called exopolitics.com, which should already give you a little bit of information, like insight as to how it goes. Their, their, uh, tagline is political implications of extraterrestrial life. Ooh. Okay. So the headline is Gene Roddenberry based Star Trek on secret U S Navy space fleet. Okay, that's a bold claim. That is. So the article starts off by talking about how Gene Roddenberry was influenced greatly by The Outer Limits, which was another science fiction show that was on TV prior to Star Trek. So was Twilight Zone, for that matter. Mm -hmm. So Twilight Zone was sort of the more cerebral one, and Outer Limits was a little more monster-focused. But it was still a good show, and I believe Bill was in Outer Limits at one point. Yes, he was in all of those thriller, Outer Limits, um, it, the big one, Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. he, he yeah. was in them. So uh, it, it looks like um, Gene Roddenberry was friendly with the guy, Leslie Stevens, who was the executive producer and the creator of Outer Limits. Not surprising, they would have known each other, you know, being interested sort of in right. episodic science fiction in Hollywood. So fine, that's true. <laughs> Um, maybe there's a hint that Roddenberry and this guy Leslie Stevens may have had some kind of business arrangement because they were rivals. So maybe they agreed, yeah, we'll do this kind of show and you'll do that kind of show and we won't step on each other's toes. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. Turns out that Leslie Stevens was the son of uh, a U.S. Navy vice admiral by the same name who had passed away in 1956. So here we go. Um, this His... his father, the vice admiral, uh, had been privy to a lot of information about what the Nazis were doing. And I believe that this is true. The Nazis were actually trying to build flying saucers during World War II. Wow. I don't I don't think they were actually flying saucers, but they were looking into different kinds of technology, you mm-hmm. know, for stealth aircraft and stuff like that. Um, so here's what the article says. Uh, Vice Admiral Stevens was a contemporary of uh, another dude who, according to a former aerospace engineer, oversaw a covert Navy espionage program out of Nazi Germany to learn about the Nazi flying saucers during World War II. Okay. These 29 Navy spies in the program had not only learned that the Nazis had developed up to 30 different flying saucer prototypes... Okay, ready for this? Mm-hmm. But we're also being directly assisted by an extraterrestrial civilization comprising reptilian hominoids in building secret bases in Antarctica. Gorns! <laughs> Gorn Fight Club with Nazis. I am so in. So I'm reading this, and like that one sentence just took an extreme left turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just nodding my head, and then it gets to assisted by an extraterrestrial civilization. Oh, okay, sure. Okay. Um, so this is the claim that um, at the time there were extraterrestrials who were assisting the U.S. in their plans to, uh, I don't know, build things to thwart the Nazis. So and this is like a private little war, but we're the, the Yangs and yes, the Yes, okay. that is true. So okay. um, the Navy was going to oversee the development of a U.S. Navy space fleet based on modern aircraft carrier battle groups that would in time join an interplanetary alliance. So the theory is that um, the son of the Navy admiral who was privy to all this information obviously knew about it, obviously. Of course. Because it was his dad. And then, of course, he (laughs) shared this information with Gene Roddenberry, and that's where the idea for Star Trek came from. (laughs) 
can you prove it's not true? <laughs> and I was like, does does Crazy Pike know about this? Because oh, this really? sounds like exactly the kind of thing that he uh, would this, be Yeah, this right up his alley. And I just love it. This article is wonderful. It has, like, here's a great quote. Um one of the the people involved says he said that it was common for navy officers to have their children briefed about secret space programs and alliances with different different extraterrestrial races okay um <laughs> a member sure. of my family was in the navy yeah i'm, yeah. I'm gonna ask him about this you should ask because it <laughs> says right here navy officers had their children briefed about alliances with extraterrestrial races okay so you should hmm. know about this yeah. I mean, your family should know about this. Yeah. The Navy um, was trying to adjust their operations for a world in which it was commonly known that aliens exist and live among us. Commonly known. Everybody knows this. Yeah, well. Uh, oh, okay. Um, odd. It, here, here, <laughs> here's some very specific things. Um, a future U.S. Navy space fleet would be developed that would actively cooperate with um, the Nordic extraterrestrials. So apparently that's like one type of extraterrestrials. Y you know, people who are really into this, they have names for all the different shapes. So oh, like, okay. like the ones from um, uh, Close Encounters, I think they're called like grays because they're little and they're gray and okay. then th there are other ones that are supposed to be like tall pointy eared uh you know sort of tolkien elfish guys and those are called <laughs> nordic extraterrestrials okay and then there's others i don't know um so the nordic extraterrestrials would work with us in an alliance that would counter the nazis and their reptilian allies in the star trek series the nordics were depicted as vulcans the mm -hmm. reptilians were Klingons, and the Nazis were represented as genetically enhanced humans. Uh, furthermore, it is topical to recognize that Roddenberry chose the beautiful, iconic city of San Francisco as the military headquarters for Starfleet. Um, it directly represented the Navy's plan for its secret space program becoming a model for integrating other nations in a united partnership in San Francisco. All we need now is the sound clip of Brandon going, I knew it! I knew it was real! <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, the article closes by saying, as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, <laughs> it is worth remembering the roles the U.S. Navy admirals that helped launch the real secret space program upon which Star Trek was modeled. So whatever happened? I don't know. I mean, where are our, our Nordic and gray alien I, allies? Presumably they're here, and we just don't know about it. The government is hiding all this information from us. Jeez. They hide everything from us because, you know, we can't be trusted to know these things. And who knows? Mm. There are people who are really into the whole reptilian idea. And so I guess <laughs> if you if you buy into the reptilians, you probably buy into the um you know, the Nordics. We should just get Sean Kenny on to talk about this because <laughs> he probably know he probably knows. He, he knows. probably does. He could tell us. Wow. So I had to share that. Yes. Well and what 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 publication was this in? This is a website called exopolitics.org. Okay. Um that is gonna be my go to reference for any <laughs> outrageous statement I make. Um I don't know if I've told you this, but I, I probably have not told our entire podcast. But because of many years of working at home mm -hmm. um, and talking to the dog as I work or talking to myself and saying, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. Well, that's interesting. I do talk to myself at work a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a completely open office. <laughs> and we got a, a new employee in who, like, sits across from me. And the, the guy who's the boss of us all said to him, you know, you should know that uh, – Pat talks to herself. <laughs> and I found an article about how talking to yourself is really good. Uh, it reaffirms knowledge. It helps oh. you retain things you're learning, you know, all these other things. So I told the boss about it, and he goes, uh, was this a reputable publication? <laughs> <laughs> it was on exopolitics.org. That's what I'm going to tell him because I said, the internet, you know. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. But, you know, in, in our little group, we all have our little quirks. We have a couple people who listen to music and they hum along, you know, so you just you just learn this is this is what we do. And nobody really seems to be upset about it. And that boss happens to sit next to me. And and I said to him, is it a problem? And he said, no, I kind of enjoy the running commentary of your day. <laughs> 
I, I have the same problem now that I work at home most of the time. Okay. And, and I'm constantly doing it. And, and I, other people in my family are like, are you talking to me? Like, <laughs> no, I'm talking to myself. Shut up. Get used to it. This is the new normal. <laughs> Just put your headphones on. Really? <laughs> Don't listen to me. Oh, can I um can I read just a little follow up in the note in the comments here? Oh, because there yes, are some please. comments and it gets more even more interesting if you can believe that. Okay. Um, someone posts Gene Roddenberry got his information from a lady named Phyllis Schlemmer. It is in her book called The Only Planet of Choice. I found copies of it on the internet and read the info that Gene Roddenberry received with the transcripts. He got the info from uh, the Council of Nine, an extraterrestrial race who also gave Uri Geller his powers in exchange for him to reveal the ET UFO reality. Phyllis Schlemmer was also in contact with the Council of Nine and Gene Roddenberry used her to channel information from those extraterrestrials. It's very interesting information. I would look up her videos on YouTube and look up her books on Google. Oh. So not only was it coming to the Navy, Gene Roddenberry was in touch with a woman who was like a medium and was channeling information directly from the extraterrestrials. Um, and I bet the crystal skull is in there somewhere too. You, I'm sure that you are 100% correct about that. <laughs> oh, man. I love Star Trek. I, I, you know, stuff like this, I just, I just eat it up, you know. <laughs> The stranger the conspiracy theory and the minute it's involving aliens and Nazis and, yeah. you know, it's just like somebody put a bunch of Superman comics in a blender. <laughs> this is true. This is absolutely true. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Well, good. I'm so glad I found that article and that I was able to talk about it on the show because I yes. just thought everyone would love to hear about that. <laughs> okay. Getting back to real science. Oh, fiction. real science. Yeah. For just a minute, I want to quickly review... The three new sci-fi shows I have actually watched. Oh, good. Please Because there's a ton of it oh, I know. this season. Okay. The first one, I believe, is called Timeless. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. And these people, this team of people, are chasing Dr. Evil, whatever his name is, <laughs> through time, who is going through changing events. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they don't know why he's doing this, and they don't know why they were chosen. It's a fun show. I watched the first episode. Um, it's one of those shows that I'm sure you can pick it up at any time and watch any mm. episode. Oh, at least, at least now, you know, now mm -hmm. they're stringing us along with what is the why, but you can just go. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. God, I thought I'd gone dead. No, I was the nodding. You can't see me, but I'm nodding okay. my head. <laughs> All right. You'll have to shake it so I'll hear it rattle. Um, <laughs> there's another one called Frequency. Uh-huh. And in this one, a woman who is in her late 20s, she's a cop. And her father was a cop, but he was killed when she was a child. And he was a an amateur ham radio operator. That was his hobby. Well, she still got the ham radio in the garage, and somebody comes in and, and like, turns it on, and she's not happy about that. But she finds that she and her father in the past can now talk to each other. <gasps> Ooh, that sounds good. Yes. And, um... And because of things she tells him and he tells her, they, they are able to change things. And it is not, at least the episode I watched, and I'm going to watch more of it because I'm hooked, do not turn out the way they think. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those butterfly effect things. And I like the lead actress. Mm, cool. Okay, the other one I've watched, and this one I've watched three episodes of, is Westworld. Oh, yeah, Westworld. So I heard that they were redoing that. I, that original movie was amazing. I loved it. Well, yeah, and this is uh, very, very different from that. Um, and it's it's full of actors I like. You know, Ed Harris and, um, uh, oh, God, now I'm blanking on the guy's name. The guy who played um, Hannibal the Cannibal, um, Anthony Hopkins, mm -hmm. people like that. But it's... it's uh, in a way, it just gives you a horrible, horrible view of mankind because the whole point of this Westworld Park is that you pay your money, which is a huge amount of money, and you can do anything you want. And so these very human robots are constantly being killed and raped mm. and tortured Ugh. and, you know, yeah, pretty ugly. But the thing is, their memories are wiped every time. Mm -hmm. But we also get into the story of the people who are responsible for building these and, and oh. maintaining these uh -huh. and what's going on. And Ed Harris is this man in black who is looking for kind of like the park beyond the park. Hmm. And um, 
it's very intriguing. Mm. Very intriguing. That's very interesting. Um, as a quick side note to that, I know we're going on rather long here, but um, I, I saw a discussion where people said, what if there really was a Westworld and you could have it be anything you want to? Mm-hmm. What, what would you choose? Like, Star Trek th- world. <laughs> instantly. Like, what else would you choose? That well, would yeah. be totally what, I, like, there is no other thing that I would choose. That would be it. And, and to be more specific, Kirk world. Yes, Kirk world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That yep. is correct. Uh, that is so correct. that's my answer. So anyway, um, as time goes by, I'll probably be keeping up with Westworld and, you know, trying to, to stay on top of, of um, uh, frequency. I'm, you know, t- timeless. I might look in on every now and then. That's more of a, a funny, almost comic booky mm-hmm. sort of one. Yeah. So just it's interesting to me that all this is going on and, and they're all taking their own different approaches. So like, you know. Like I said, that one's kind of comic booky. Westworld, very dark. Mm-hmm. You know, you find what you like. Yeah. Well, I, I'm still watching all of the DC shows, and they're wonderful. And I will say that on on Supergirl, um, one of the Legion of the Superheroes has turned up. Ooh. So yes, I'm very excited about that, given my my Legion obsession. So I'm wondering if we're going to see, you know, all of the Legion members, the ones with the yeah. really goofy names. You know, the substitute Legion, the ones who are like borderline disabilities yeah as we've talked about before that's that's the the legion i want to see maybe they'll do them as an animated version or you know one of the cheap cheap or maybe that, that would be a great fan film it would be a fan oh. film oh, oh that would be good yeah. <laughs> so yep tv's just pretty good pretty awesome these days i gotta say I'm, yep, I'm there's a lot, of, lot of good stuff going on <laughs> So, listeners, tell us what you're watching on television. We'd love to hear yes, about it. Yes, uh, yes. Let us know what are your picks, especially in the, the new ones that we might actually have a chance of catching up with. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, send us email. Let us know what's going on. Please continue to let us know about other mm-hmm. movies or Trek-related items. Let us know if you've met any Nordic aliens or reptilians <gasps> or have any kind of insight on that as well. We'd really yeah. love to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, and let us know if you're going to be at any of the cons that we're going to specifically specifically um the the next one which is silicon valley comic-con yep okay another great podcast another one let's wrap it up um let's go and maybe we'll go there's probably star trek on right now i think i'll go watch (laughs) it's still the weekend it's still the weekend okay tv's coming on it's warming up (laughs) warm up the set there (laughs) okay everybody go watch star trek bye bye